Would you pray with me as we have done over these last couple of weeks? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts. Give us this day. I'm sorry. Give us this day. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness, for imperfection. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that you may be seated. That's what happens when you start to try to do it from memory and make yourself look good in front of people. God has a good way of humbling us. Well, our study of prayer <clears throat> has led us, this summer's study of prayer has led us into this in-depth study of the Lord's Prayer, this, this model prayer. Now, we know that there are two occasions on which the, the Jesus taught this prayer to His disciples. In Luke, He taught it in response to His disciples' request. Teach us to pray. They came to Him. They saw Him praying. They said, teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught His disciples to pray. And so Jesus taught them this prayer. Then He turned and in, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the context we're studying it from, He turns and He gives this teaching on prayer again. And so in that, we begin to recognize that that Jesus didn't intend us necessarily to say this over and over. If He did, He would have prayed it Himself. But in all of the prayers that are recorded of His, He not once explicitly repeats this in the same fashion as He has taught it. So we learn that God, that, that Jesus doesn't want us just simply to pray this prayer and never ask another thing or to, to inform us the way that we should say every word and give us a mantra that we should just say by rote. He is teaching us the, the prayer requests, the ways to approach God in which we can pray powerfully and effectively. So I believe, I believe what we learn in this is that Jesus wants us to pray effectively. He wants us to pray with power. He wants us to pray sanctifying, uh, uh, powerful, circumstance-changing, miracle-inducing prayers. He longs for His people to pray and see God react and respond positively, to, to, to see God move in response to their, their request. Well, there's only one way we can do that. There's only one way for us, a people who, who have misperceived uh, conceptions about who He is. People who are making mistakes regularly. People who don't know what's next. There's only one way for us to begin to pray this way. And it's to learn to pray as Jesus instructed us. And maybe today, maybe today, there's a key here that really, that really, that, that, that becomes the, the bottom line. If we are going to pray powerfully and effectively, maybe today is, is the answer. As we seek to understand what He meant when He said, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every week as we've looked at each individual request, I've reminded you, and, and I'll continue to remind you, we can't separate these from one another. They belong together. There's, there's a connectivity. They're, they're individual requests. There's six petitions three of which we focus on God. We look at God and we say, God, do this for Yourself. Please do these things. We're not commanding Him. We're, we're requesting of Him. We're petitioning Him. And in three of those requests, we're saying, God, please do this on behalf of us. We're asking Him to, to act on our behalf. And, 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 and so each of these individual requests, they're, they're individual petitions. But they're also 
connected to one another in such a way that we can't divide them. And if you remove one from the other, then it becomes something different than I think what He intended it to be. So each week we come and we strive to understand how they connect and, and what exactly it is we're asking. What are we asking? I mean, if you look at God, if you kneel on your knee, if you get, get before God and you say, God, do your will here on earth as it is done in heaven, what are you asking? What are you asking Him to do? Well, I would summarize it in this way. Asking God's will to be done is asking Him to do what is necessary to accomplish all He desires. And I'll tell you why I think that. I think it's really, really foundational or, 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 or the piece that really defines that for us, I think, is the word will. Your will be done. What's God's will? Well, the word translated here, will, the word that we read as will, really is a word that talks about His strong desire. Now, I think sometimes when we think of will, we think of His his sovereign reign, His sovereign authority. And, and, and they're there together. They, they kind of work together. They work in unison. But there's this desire that God has. There's this longing that He has. And we have to be careful. He's different than us. We don't want to emote too much. We don't want to impose too much of what we think of and desires on Him. But the reality is He has strong desires. He has expressed desires that He intends to happen. And we are asking Him, as we say this, we are not just asking Him to, to, to have that. We, God, have Your will. Get done what You want to get done. But see, implied with that is also a necessary understanding that He must do everything that needs to be done to bring this will to be. See, God's a God of processes. He's not a God who typically or who even often just makes things happen out of the blue. Sometimes He does, absolutely. We've seen it in Jesus' life. But we also see the process of Jesus' life. How long had the Israelites been waiting for their Messiah before Jesus arrived? Couldn't have God sent Jesus immediately? Couldn't have Eve been, been a virgin who gave birth? Couldn't it have happened immediately at the fall? God just said, here's Jesus. Pay the price. Get it done. Did He have to go through the process of, of choosing Abraham and making covenant with Abraham? I'm going to bless you and through you your, or through your seed, I will bless all nations. Did he have to go through that process? Did he have to go through the process of choosing a people and, and out of that choose, out of that people saying, Moses, you're my God. You're going to lead these people. Did he have to go through that process? Did he have to deal with Moses who says, God, I'm not your guy. Did he have to deal with him? No. But he had a will that he was going to work, that he was going to accomplish. And so as we ask for God to accomplish his express will, we are also asking him to do what is necessary in his wisdom and understanding to make it happen. We're asking him to do what he wants to do. That's what we're asking. Maybe, just maybe, as we've said over and over as we've dealt with that, just maybe that might be the reason our prayers lack power. Just maybe we don't really want God's will as much as we want our own. We'll deal with that more in a minute. But let's, let's just consider, I mean, okay, God's going to accomplish His will. 
He's going he's gonna to get His purposes and His plans done. I mean, why in the world would Jesus instruct us to ask this question? I mean, really, isn't it just a kind of a moot point? I mean, isn't it just, well, God's going to do His will. Can't we just sit back? We don't need to pray, right? We've dealt with this kind of when we talked about why we pray. Well, it's God's will. He's going to take care of it. He's going to make sure it happens. I don't need to tell my neighbor about Jesus because if it's God's will, they're going to meet Him. Yeah, they, they, they're going to meet Him. But wouldn't you rather they submit to Him rather than be bowed before Him? I mean, I mean, choose to submit to Him. Come to Him and see Him as a Savior rather than a judge. Wouldn't you rather that? Oh, it's God's will. It's just God's will. I'll just sit back and, and just let it happen. I mean, it's going to happen, right? I can't save anybody. But it's God's will. These horrible things are happening in my life. There's no reason to pray. He just is... He's just angry with me or teaching me or something. There's no reason to pray. It's just His will, right? I mean, is there a reason then? I think there is. I mean, I do believe. I, I agree with Job. Job is facing God. He has suffered by God's allowance. In fact, by God's initiation, he has suffered greatly. I mean, he's sitting... In a, in a pit of ashes, in a, in a fire pit, you know, sitting covered with boils. Now, I don't know if you know what a boil is, but it's not just like your everyday little bump with a little bit of white, I mean, you know, it's not a zit. It's like the world's worst zit, you know. And he doesn't just have one or two. It's not like he's got the North Star at the end of his nose. He's got him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He is covered. Even those places we don't like talking about in public are covered with these horrendous boils. And he's sitting there in mourning because he's lost everything. Everything. And he's like, why? 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 And he's not just, he's not just suffering at the hand of the devil. He's not just suffering because God allowed him to endure this. He is suffering because of his friends. He's got this emotional struggle on top of everything else he's endured. His friends come to him and say, Job, you are, you, you are messed up. You have done something wrong. And he's getting beat up by, by all of his friends. If, that's, if you want to come to me in the midst of struggle and trial and tell me I've screwed up, I just assume you stay away, Right? Don't come talk to me. I recognize how screwed up I am. I don't need somebody else to enforce that for me. But here he is, just he's just wrestling. Wrestling with all of his loss and now wrestling because of his friends. And it's not just his friends. It's the, 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 the most important person in his life. His wife steps out. You know, I can see her stepping out of the tent, pushing back the curtain. Job, what are you doing out there? Get out of the fire pit. Curse God and die. Just be done with Him and do what you'll do. His wife abandoned him in the midst of it. And here's Job. Why? Why? And, and, and God shows up. And, and again, I, I think I've said this before. I, I think if God showed up to me like He had done with Job, I, I think I'd probably wet myself. That would be... I mean, I don't know. I don't know what would happen. But He shows up and He, he challenges Job basically to a duel. And Job realizes as God lays out His sovereign plan and His sovereign will and His sovereign authority, Job realizes how silly he had been. 
See, I think Job is right when he says in, in 42.2, we ask for, or, or, or I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly with Job that he's right when he says that. I, I know that as God heard those words, he recognized that Job believed them. But listen, brothers and sisters, there is a reality. We ask for God's will to be done. We ask for it to be done because His will is being opposed over all the earth. Everywhere, His will is being done. We dealt with this last week as we talked about His kingdom. We talked about the people are rebelling. There's a demonic and human rebellion against the very will of God. Just like there's a demonic and human rebellion against His kingdom. There are people who deny Him and who will not bow to Him. See, God, He has these great desires for His creation and they will come to pass. But as we stand together, Jesus is calling us to rebel against this ongoing rebellion. To stand in the face of this worldwide opposition to God's will and say no more. No more. God, have your way. Do what you will do. Do what's necessary for you to have done what you've said will be done. Listen, as long, as long as there is an, uh, uh, more, let me, let me say it this way, as long as there is more than one will at play on this earth, we need to be asking for God's will to be done. You say, what other wills are at play? There's a demonic will at play. The enemy, the demons, the devil, they they have a desire. They have a plan. They are striving, working hard to undermine the glory of God for selfish motive, selfish gain. Don't think that they have your best interest in mind. Don't think that they are concerned about the creation in any way. All they care for is themselves and seeing themselves exalted and glorified. There not only is this opposition of a demonic will, but there are as many people as as have lived. There is that many wills that stand in opposition to our Creator God. It's always been happening since the creation or since the fall into sin after the creation. Adam and Eve had a will and they exercised it in opposition to God's. Cain had a will and he exercised it in opposition to God's. And just 900 and some odd years later, if you do the math, it's not, it's not really all that long. It's just a few, few generations and, and many of these people that, that, were, that knew Adam were still alive and, and, and it, it got so bad. It had gotten so bad that it says in the Scripture in Genesis that, it was the, that their thoughts were evil all the time and God was grieved because there was an opposition to His will. And that opposition continues. You see, when we're asking for God to do His will on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking for it because there is opposition to it. We're asking Him to complete what He knows is best. See, in heaven, God reigns supreme. 
But here we strive to rule ourselves. And that'd be nice if I could say that this is just those people outside the church that don't sit in this room regularly on a Sunday. I wish I could say that. But even if you get it right all the time, I'm telling you as your pastor, I get it wrong a lot. I desire my will. In heaven, His will is accomplished. He gets His way. But here we prefer our way. Father, sanctify me, but don't let me suffer. Make me look like Jesus, but don't don't make me endure. Give me what I want and what I need. Because oftentimes I'm more like a spoiled child than a grateful one. See, in heaven, His plans, they don't meet resistance. What He says goes. In all of creation, in reality, when you stop and think about it, there's, there's, there's only two orders in which His creation or His will meets resistance. And that's among the demons and among people. Everything else suffers because of it. And a classic example of this, let me just build this out biblically because I know that there might be some of you, oh man, you're treading on thin ice and you're about to commit heresy. This is a biblical example. I mean, it's shown over and over. But a classic example of this, uh, I think you can see in 1 Samuel 8. Now Israel, let me just let me just set this up for you. Israel, they were God's chosen people. They had seen from Him things that no one else on earth had seen or experienced. I mean, they they were in Israel. They had been, or they were in Egypt. They had been made slaves. They had experienced and endured this for hundreds of years. About four hundred years, they've experienced this slavery and this this uh, oppression, and they've cried out to God for that whole time. And finally, God takes Moses and He says, "Go back and get my people and bring them out." So Moses argues a little bit, goes back, gets them out. They cross the Red Sea. They're delivered from the world's most powerful army that has ever had ever existed at that time. I think we could put them to shame today, but the reality is at that time, nobody else could. They reigned, they ruled supreme in the earth, at least as far as they saw it. They, they came after the Israelites, the Egyptians did, and God, He drowns them, puts an end to them. Israel comes out and they stand before God. They show up at this mountain eventually and, and, and God speaks to them, I want to be your God and do you want to be my people? And they're like, yeah, we want to do that. But, of course, they're scared because it's God, after all, talking to them. So they're a little nervous. So they say, Moses, you got to talk for us. Moses is like, sure, I'll do that. So, yeah, they, they join in and they, they covenant together. And Moses goes up on this mountain. He gets the law, comes down. They all see this glowing example of what happens when somebody's exposed to God's glory, you know. So so he comes down, he's got these tablets, and in the meantime, they've decided, well, you know, we're tired of waiting on Moses. We don't really know what's happened to him. Hey, Aaron, would you go ahead and build us a God so while we wait, we can just kind of do what we like doing? One thing leads to another. They finally led into the promised land. And even in all of their rebellion, all their struggling, all their problems, they're led into the promised land, the, the land that God had not only promised them, but He had promised Abraham, people who had lived, a, a man who had lived 
generations and generations before, and God brings His promise to fruition. They're settled in the promised land, and it's theirs, you know, and they're still dealing with issues in and among it. But, but here at this, this, this moment in time, in this moment of history, they are a kingless people. God has ruled them by judges. Samuel is one of these judges. And these people come to Samuel in his old age, and they're like, Samuel, you've got to get us a king. You're about to die. Your sons don't act like you act. They don't live according to your way. You've got to get us a king. And Samuel says, wait, you don't want to do that. And he lays out for them all of the reasons why having an earthly king is a bad idea. And they oppose him. And they say, no, Samuel, you've got to do this. You've got to do it. And you really begin to see that this is in opposition to what God has for them. And there's one place in the, in the story, in the text, where, where God steps out and He meets with Samuel. And he says, Samuel, do what they're asking you to do. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. You see, there is a reality that God's will stands opposed Could He smite it? Could He finish it? Could He end it? Absolutely, He could. But for whatever reason, He allows it. And as long as this opposition exists, we need to be asking for His will to be accomplished. We need to be asking for Him to do what He is going to do. I want to be careful because I don't, want us to, I don't want us to go so far to one direction and assume that God has no power over man. But I don't want us to be so far to the other side, to so far to the sovereignty of God that denies that He allows men to act and then get what they deserve. As you see it over and over and over Again, and here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want us to equate what God allows with His express will. They're really two different things. See, God has a sovereign will that will come to pass. But along the way, along the way, we will be in opposition to it. And He allows us to, to, to go that way. He allows us to make that mistake. He allows us to sin against Him. He allows us to oppose His will. And those are reasons I can't tell you. I, I don't know why. But I can tell you it happens. And here's what happens, I think, if we... If we tread too close to either extreme. I, I think the reality is that we make the mistake of assigning the responsibility of our sinful action, our sinful hearts, to a perfect and holy God. You see, I mean, think about this. If, if God is responsible and it's His will that we sin, then obviously He's the author of that sin. Well, God willed for you to sin against Him. If God willed for me to sin against Him, why in the world would He have sent Jesus? If it was God's will, then I would not really be in rebellion. Where would the need for the sacrifice come in? 
See, if, 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 if we do this, if we, make, if we make God's allowances the same as His express will, then we, we take our, the, the blame for all the suffering and evil and, 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 and horrendous events in the world and we place it on Him. And if He, if He expressly caused, determined to be the cold and crass God that looks at a people that He says He loves and plays a game like many of us have endured this year with the struggles and trials that we've had to endure. We create a God that's different than the one that the Bible has revealed to us. See, if, if we bring to a logical extension either extreme, God's sovereignty or His powerlessness, we design a whole other God. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. We, we, if we do this, if, if we look at God and say, God, You're responsible for sin, You're responsible for all the evil in the world, then we demean the sacrifice of our Savior. then we've determined that at some point before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew He was coming. And so at some point before the foundation of the world, God looked, the Father looked at the Son and, and said, Jesus, I'm going to make these people and I'm going to do all these horrible things to them. But I want you to go and pay for that. It totally undermines the sacrifice of our Savior. Jesus died for God. But He died that God might be glorified and that He might be the justifier of the just. See, God remains holy as He forgives sinful people. So Jesus died for His Father. But He died for us because we are fully responsible because we have opposed God's will. We have walked in rebellion. See, we must be asking for God's will to be done because there are people who stand opposed to it. And until, until all other desires, until all other, until there's no longer any opposition, until all other desires and wills are bowed before God in submission to Him, this is a necessary petition that must undergird every request we make in prayer. See, there's, this is the key. This is the key, I think, to powerful and effective prayer. Because we can't pray for God's glory if we don't long for His will to be done. We can't pray for His kingdom to come if we don't long for His will to be accomplished. You see, the reality is they're so connected, they're so dependent upon one another. If we disconnect them in any way, 
then the power is removed. The effectiveness is removed. In the same way, just as we can't pray for those God-oriented ideas and those God-oriented petitions, in the same way we can't pray those prayers about ourselves. If we don't desire His will, you see, if we don't desire His will, then we won't be asking for our daily needs to be met. We'll never even be satisfied with those. We'll never even find contentment in those. I, I need more than my needs met, God. I need all my desires met. Isn't that the way we pray, though? I mean, how often do we, how often do we look at God? Do we kneel before God and 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 are more God centric in our requests, more God centric in our petitions than we are me centered? How often do we pray for God's glory more than we pray pray for our own? How often do we pray for God's mission more than we do our own? I think too often we go to prayer. We go to prayer and we say these things and we pray these requests and we offer them up hoping God will do what we want Him to do. And I think we need to hear this. Because it's not about seeing our will done. It's about seeing the Father's will done. You see, when we don't desire His will, we'll never fully be able to accept His forgiveness. We'll never... We'll always doubt where He's leading us. I mean, just think, just think. If I can't trust that God's will for me is best, if I can't believe that, if I, if I don't have an understanding that His will is absolutely best and whatever it takes to get there is best, then I'll always be doubting the next step He leads me in. I'll never have confidence to do what He's called me to do. Maybe that's why we're, we're, we're scared to approach friends and neighbors and tell them about the coming kingdom of God. Maybe that's why we're scared to talk to our co-workers or, or we're afraid we'll lose jobs because we don't trust His will. Maybe because we don't want His will. We'd rather have our own. Maybe that's why our prayers so often come back seemingly unanswered or receiving a no. Maybe, just maybe. I think this is the key. The effectiveness of our prayer is not limited by God's desires. It's not limited by God's will, but our own. And to the degree that we can begin to pray for His will to be done and mean it sincerely, it's going to always limit the effectiveness and power of our prayers. So how do we get there? I don't want to don't want to end this without dealing with this. How do we get to this place? How do we, a broken, sinful, albeit redeemed and sanctified people, how do we get to a place where we long for his will? Believe in him. Believe in God and know that his way is best. It's difficult to believe sometimes though, isn't it? It's difficult to believe when He's calling us to die to ourselves or to pick up our cross. It's difficult to believe when we're faced with the difficulties of this fallen world. It's difficult to believe that God really knows best when it doesn't seem like He can see as good as I can. But listen, God has a perspective that none of us can match. He sees the beginning from the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows it all in the middle. 
And He has proven in the cross that He will work for our best interest. You see, we never have to doubt Him again. If He gave us His Son, what wouldn't He give us? You see, as you doubt His will, look at the cross. How do we get there? Believe in Him. And I think that's connected also with knowing Him. We spend years, hours and hours and hours upon learning a trade. We, we, we get trained in all kinds of different things. Yet, our Bibles are the last thing we tend to pick up. Prayer is typically not the first thing we go to. Maybe we don't understand that God has His best in mind for us because we don't know God as well as we should. Maybe. Maybe we can't see how sovereign and how perfect His plan is because we've never gotten to know Him as good as He's wanting us to. I think another way that we get there, another way that we move towards that is we humble ourselves in obedience before Him. That's the call of the Gospel. You can see it in Ephesians. You can see it in Galatians. Typically, really, you can see it in, in Romans. All of, all of Paul's letters that were presenting the Gospel to these cities, he's saying these things. He's saying, God did this. He did this. He did this. He did this. He did this. Now you do this. And it can all be summarized by saying this. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Him. Die to yourself. Give up your will. Let it go. <laughs> Recognize that He is higher. He is better. His ways are brighter. His ways are more rewarding. His ways are eternal. I think finally, I think it's connected in this prayer that finally the way that we get to this place where we are sincerely praying for and desiring His will in prayer is that we remember that He is our Father. Our Father. Hallowed be Your name. Our Father. Our Father. Your kingdom come. Our Father, Your will be done. Inevitably. Inevitably. There's going to come a moment. There's going to come a circumstance. There's going to, there's going to come something that, that, that tries us, that causes us to take sight, uh, take our eyes off of that truth. There's going to be something that seems to, to seemingly just overwhelm, that might just seem to crush us. I've been there. My life was falling apart. I was spiraling out of control. And all I could do is blame it on the Father. Who are you to do this to me? Why would you do this? You say you love me. Why would you do this to me? And I've told you the story before. I, I essentially flipped him off and tried to walk the other direction. But our Father didn't let me go. 
I wish I could tell you that I handled it like Jesus. Who knew what was coming. Who knew what he was facing. Who could have run and hid. He felt the weight of the cross bearing down on him. And in that garden, as he sweat drops of blood, and angels attended to him, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. He is our Father. And everything we endure in this life, he means for our good. And while that's difficult to deal with, and it's difficult to know in the midst of the circumstance, in the midst of the struggle and the trial, the truth is if we can remember this, if we can know Him and believe Him, if we can humble ourselves before Him, then we can pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, be glorified. Advance your kingdom in us and over us. May your will be done here today. May your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven.